Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and culture podcast. Much like Tottenham Hotspur's central midfield, we're a bit bare bones tonight, but you've got me, Charlie, very much the uh, Pierre-Emile Hoybier of the situation, and you've got Rosa, who isn't a Harry Winks at all. Instead, let's pretend Ben Davis has been bumped up into central midfield. Anyway, Billy, Tom and Ash will be back next week, but we're going to be gritting our teeth and talking through the cup defeat at Middlesbrough a match in which Spurs decided they would humiliate us live on BBC's one and two. We'll be talking about our Spurs coping mechanisms. We'll be looking ahead to Everton and swapping a few culture picks. Rosa, hi. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right, to be honest. It's been a very weird few days, hasn't it? I feel this is the sort of, Football sort of proved itself once again to be simultaneously incredibly not important and also quite important, hasn't it? It's um, it's remarkable how the the whole Chelsea Abramovich situation seems to have kind of dominated news cycles at a time when you know we're watching you know scenes of abject terror across Ukraine and the sort of potential plight of Chelsea seems to be kind of up there. It's 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 remarkable. And then there were rumors of the Super League resurfacing. There's just been all sorts of all sorts of nonsense. Um amongst that nonsense of course was Tottenham's visit to the Riverside. Is it still called the Riverside Stadium? I was <laughs> I say that I was talking about Bolton Stadium this week and was calling it the Reebok and I'm fairly Is sure it's not? not being called it's not been called the Reebok. It's had two names <laughs> since since then. Um so maybe the Riverside isn't called the Riverside. Uh, sure, yeah. sort of shows the kind of Premier League fan disrespect that um, kind of has left us with perhaps egg on and our face. And boy, did they make us pay for it. 
They did, didn't they? Yeah. It was horrible. It was, it was ghastly. I mean, again, again, I think, you know, we do need to put into, we put, we need to put football into its proper context, of course. However, we're a podcast discussing Tottenham Hotspur and that was, again, it wasn't a defeat that is unique to Spurs. You know, of course, so many teams have gone out in the cup to a decent championship side and I think it's obviously important to stress that Middlesbrough aren't non-league. They're a, upwardly mobile championship side with a good coach that won their last seven league home games, I think. Um, and if a team like that with its first sellout crowd in four seasons finds Premier League opposition looking pretty distracted and agitated, then beating them can be very much on the cards. But we were rubbish, weren't we? We were terrible. And I think ultimately, it, even if it wasn't something that is uniquely Spurs. It felt pretty uniquely Spurs, didn't it? <laughs> there was something so inevitable, and I think we all felt it going into that match, that it's a game we should win. But at the same time, the pitfalls and the banana skins were sort of everywhere, weren't they? So, yep, you're right. A, a team on the rise in the league below us sell out, so up for it. We don't really know quite what we're doing yet I think that's clear we don't have more than we don't even really have more than a first 11 I think we've all Mm. known that for a while and we simply looked exhausted I think I hadn't seen I think it was quite the worst thing about it I think for me was that I don't think I'd seen us play that badly since the Southampton game and I think I did in fact say why are we making Middlesbrough look like Southampton because it was just, it was so shocking. It was so shocking. And normally I think I try not to get that upset about things like um, cup exits because I feel that I've reconciled myself to it now that we can't, we can't even challenge on two fronts. It's just not possible. Mm. And I don't, I don't even feel that embarrassed about it really. And perhaps I should, but I just think it's it's so obvious we've never really done anything in any of the competitions, even when we were good, that it's just, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it does feel, I feel quite sad now because I think I finally realised Harry Kane's never going to lift a trophy with Tottenham. You know, that's... You reckon? You reckon? I, don't, I think that's it, really. I don't think... I mean, in a, you, in a because you think he's going to leave in the summer now. I do, yeah, really. I don't really see unless no one comes in for him, which would be seems farcical, but it's kind of not. I guess um, I feel like one of the one of the Manchester one, well, maybe not United. I don't think United will get Haaland, but I feel like if City don't get Haaland, if he goes to Spain. I think they'll come in for Kane, and I guess so. But if, but isn't he gonna? But isn't Haaland gonna go to City? That or is that just like another example of Premier League kind of? I think it's. I think it's up in the air entirely. I mean, mm. Barcelona's keep seemingly finding kind of tens of millions down the back of sofas. So maybe they've they are sort of back in the big time. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe we should save um, Kane anxiety. But I, I do yeah, think we don't need to pile it on. I do think what's telling, though, with the Kane thing is that most Spurs friends I have have, I guess because of last summer, moved pretty stealthily through the sort of seven stages of grief with regards to the idea of Harry actually going this summer. And there's just a sort of 
mournful acceptance now I guess that and maybe that was exacerbated by the Borough game where like you say that was and by the sounds of it I saw Dan in, in the standard Dan Kilpatrick write something along the lines of you know Kane had placed an awful lot of weight on Tottenham winning the cup this year as a sort of marker for progress and you know something he would be able to take with him in you know committing more seasons to us but we lost in the fifth round for the third season in a row I think you know it's not even like we're getting deep into these competitions anymore um I I feel like the lack of fitness and I know that we played the same 11 and our bench was you know pre-season level sort of thin but I don't remember a time where I've seen us look quite so leggy and again I know it was extra time and whatever the games get stretched but we just I mean Middlesbrough were just like sauntering through us and you know they played on the weekend as well and I don't think they changed their team an awful lot I think I read they maybe made two or three changes tops you know they were just steamrollering through I mean it was it was embarrassing like they just had chance after chance after chance and I know we had the odd you know, the odd situation in front of goal and, you know, Sonny should have scored right at the end with that header and, like, Kulisevsky had a couple of opportunities into extra time. But, you know, by this by the second the second period of extra time, we were just being completely overrun. Like, Conte was having to, you know, we moved to about four, we then had to move back to a sort of wing-backs again just to plug the gaps. It was, it was quite, it was bad. It was really bad. But, but Kulisevsky is, like, is an absolute case in point I think because he had chances but one of those chances was a sort of exhausted toe poke wasn't it where he couldn't even really Mm. reach the ball and it was embarrassing to watch and I felt I felt sort of embarrassed for for him and for us and again the fact that we had to yeah it was broadcast on BBC's one and two um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just the idea that, like, again, it felt so preposterous and also deeply embarrassing that, you know, the nation is coming together at 10pm these days to keep up with the, you know, terrible, terrible situation in Ukraine. And, you know, they would have been greeted by sort of bumbling Tottenham Hotspur sort of falling over themselves up in up in the northeast. Um, I guess... Just some light relief if you're not yeah, the first why not? So maybe yeah. maybe it's actually we're doing doing the nation a service um, <laughs> everyone can come together to enjoy a, a great club humbled yeah i mean yeah, I, it's like let's we don't want to get kind of too in the weeds with this one do we it was it was awful um i don't personally i didn't i didn't um read that dan kilpatrick piece but i'm unconvinced that the fa cup would have like if we didn't get top four, I'm unconvinced that he would stay. I think Kane wants Champions League, and yeah. that's fine. That's that's what I want too. That's mm. if anything, I feel like if Spurs say didn't finish in the top four, which I guess you would get decent odds on at this point in time, but had somehow won the FA Cup. If I was Kane, I would be like, brilliant. Now I can sign off with a trophy. Yeah, I've, you know, I've I've given Spurs fans a day at Wembley with a you know, with me lifting a cup at the end of it, I can't, you know, no one can now say that I've not won anything with my my home my hometown team. 
off I go with maybe a bit more blessing from you know, yeah I think we'd I think session. we'd all have taken that to be honest wouldn't we pretty much yeah yeah I think you know, um, and I think I think most of us you know going back to that sort of mournful acceptance I think we have I certainly feel like at this point it will obviously break my heart into several pieces actually watching him finally go but I just don't think I can deny him what he you know needs to be doing at this point he'll be 29 in the summer and mm. he can't spend another season outside sort of Champions League football surely again yeah it's, probably shouldn't, it's yeah we shouldn't yeah. we shouldn't be um sort of poking ourselves with more bad stuff why not just pile it all on this is maybe this is just one of our coping strategies just invite all the misery in and let's see what happens i mean moving on i know it definitely is for some people that we both know yeah and i think you know you only have to go on to and i guess i was going to say you only have to go on to to twitter say to see that i think a lot of fans you know i think all football fans but i think especially Spurs fans in my experience are very 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 good at kind of laying it on thick when things are bad and that's just how they get through it and you know no judgment I think if that if you're kind of if your shtick is like to just really go off the deep end and everyone's a disaster and the club is cursed and they're doing this on purpose to torture every single one of us and that's what well, correct you know, I mean, you are largely correct. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and it's weird because you see these sort of, you know, unfortunate clashes where I think some people do who do like to go down those sort of darker roads will sometimes be met by fans who want to, you know, see things a bit more glass half full and maybe, you know, put these defeats into a bit more of a healthy context and not get too down about it and. Where, where where are you on that sliding scale, Rosa? I think... It, you, do you know what? It usually depends who I'm talking to, I have to say. I think mm. sometimes if I'm talking to someone who is generally super optimistic, I feel a sort of need to say, to sort of say, <laughs> but, but it is no all day. terrible, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, sorry, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> Or just to at least, you know, say, kind of get my deepest, darkest fears out there, right? Like sometimes there aren't many places where I feel kind of safe saying Mm. things. But sometimes I just think I have to say, what if, what, like, what if Conte walks next week? What if Harry Kane goes in the summer? What if Arsenal get top four and, you know, never look back? What if we never get the numbers in the stadium, you know, all of those terrible things. And, and then it's like, I need to just say them and then just put them away again. Just be like, I've said it. I've said, I'm just, I'm not going to look at them again. Um, But then if I'm talking to someone really negative, like say if my dad, who, you know, I love so much, but he can really, really, really spiral. I feel sort of compelled to say, it's not that bad. We have some good players. Clearly, Certain positions need replacing. I think Conte would be crazy to walk at the end of the season. Um, so it just, it really depends. Do you know what it is? I think with Spurs, it's some t- it really depends on what way you're standing, right? So if you turn one way, it's like you're, you look down and you're at the sort of top of a kind of yawning chasm, right? And then if you just say, I'm just going to turn around... 
go for that way then it's you know the sunlit uplands <laughs> and I, I I feel similarly and I often wonder as well is this and I think the answer is probably no it's not uniquely Spurs but it does feel like we and I think you know we've spoken about this on the podcast before it's not a conversation that only we are having amongst Spurs fans it's something that haunts all of us I think this idea that Spurs exist in this sort of hinterland between kind of big club and sort of middle of the middle of the road Premier League club you know sort of glorious past kind of ambitious to do more and maybe we got tricked by sort of lucking out on Pochettino and Kane as a sort of duo and you know some decent recruitment that we sort of you know, lucked into, you know, we maybe got tricked into thinking that things are going to be a lot brighter than actually what the sort of previous 20, 30 years told us we should have expected. It's it's such a weird Spurs thing because you're completely right. I, I wake up on certain days and I'm like, Do you know what? It's going to be absolutely fine. We've just got to somehow get through this season, you know, hope that Conte doesn't sort of go through these wild mood swings every other day and gets to the summer we reboot the squad. We sign him a load of people that he actually likes and trusts that can play in the formation that he wants to play in. And away we go. He'll mm. have had a full preseason. And maybe, you know, either Kane doesn't have someone come in for him and sticks around, you know, by some miracle, or he does go and we sign, you know, someone that can actually we signed two strikers, perhaps. And, you know, between the two of them, we have a functioning forward line and it will all be absolutely fine. Or like you say, there are other things that you can spiral into. Um, I don't know. I think I've just made myself a bit sad. I think I'm sort of believing it's probably the, the latter, but... But at the yeah. same time, you know, there's there's simply no reason why it has to be this hard and (laughs) am I sort of talking myself into the fact that we're just cursed but I don't you know I don't believe it to be honest like I don't really believe it I joke about it Mm. um but I don't there's I think I think there's no reason things should be this hard I think it all feeds itself doesn't it I think that Spurs fans by their nature are quite sort of gallowsy humory self-deprecating we have to we're a fragile angsty bunch yeah we're We're a fragile angsty bunch that yeah we're i think and i think we're both neurotic and also our coping strategy is to sort of make fun of ourselves before anyone else does and if we're the ones laughing at us then it doesn't feel quite so bad when other fans do it we're somehow neurotic yet resilient yeah you know like I, I, do, know, I, I don't know I feel how like I have to give us a lot of credit <laughs> but you are because you're still here you know we are just we we're still here we go back every week we just do like I you know we'll be there on Monday right that's yeah we will and I think that's you know throwing an Antonio Conte into the mix with a fan base that has sort of been on the precipice of things being really amazing but then also seeing things go south so quickly, I guess was always going to be a real, like, I don't want to say disaster, because I still think things could very, very well turn out really nicely for us and Conte, but 
it was always going to be a very difficult season, I guess, in terms of expecting things to run smoothly. And I suppose that's what, in terms of coping strategies, I think that's what I've had to remind myself that, like, I was bonkers to expect us to just, you know, get our shit together and finish top four without any, you know, nonsense losses or Conte sort of realising quite what he'd gotten into and the January transfer window becoming a bit farcical and Liverpool stealing players of us and, you know, talking about Adama Traore's crossing for three and a half weeks and then he goes to Barcelona and all the <laughs> usual stuff. Like, of course it was going totally to be Totally forgotten ridiculous. about that. <laughs> <laughs> of course this season was going to be weird. Oh, we started this season going off, to be interesting. <laughs> we, <laughs> we started this season off with, with Nuno as our manager. You know, that wasn't that long ago. That was, what, November? So it's, it's only March. Like, we're... What have we got? 13 games left. It feels like another decade. Like several lifetimes ago. I think, yeah, do we need to talk about Antonio? Yes, we do. I think we, you and I certainly have sort of decided that we do have to treat him like a a toddler, really. And he's (laughs) going to have an outburst, right? Every game. Of, of some description and whether it's that sort of highly emotional post Burnley meltdown mm. or his sort of weird, like what's he been doing the last, I kind of haven't paid any attention to what he did, what he's done. I mean, I think I, I think the the commentators against um, Borough kept going on about how sort of quiet he looked on the touchline and there was none of his normal histrionics and, you know, ranting and raving and mm. sort of bellowing at the team, which and I, I mean, I sort of was watching him during the sort of turnarounds between extra time halves. And he, he looked a lot more passive, I must say. I don't know with him, though. I feel like he is testing the team each week. I think he's sort of giving them various... I don't think he was like giving them the silent treatment or anything, but I think he was just seeing how they respond to things, maybe taking a step back. He'd sort of set the you know, it set a challenge for them after Leeds, right? He was like, mm. we cannot be this inconsistent. I need them to go out and show me that you you follow up a victory with another victory. You don't... And they were like, know. Antonio challenge, <laughs> not accepted. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. and But you're right. I think most of us have realised that you're going to have to just, just sort of just roll our eyes a little bit when he when he goes off on these things and basically treat his outbursts like you would a whatsapp group with your friends where you've got a couple of friends who like we were saying earlier do just go off the deep end and everything's a disaster and Tottenham are in the mud and we're never going to get back up to where we were and that's it but then they wake up in the morning and they feel a lot better and you know I think that's just sort of what Conte is but on sort of steroids and you know, and unfortunately, well, he's in charge. So, and he's yeah, he has the microphone. So yeah. it's it's difficult. Um, I mean, I did I did feel this week that I didn't really want to hear from him at all. To be honest, I've I've enjoyed kind of Conte Cam as much as anyone, but I think you know of the events of the last few days, I just thought, oh my god, not now, really. Mm. Like football, it's just not that big a deal, and you're paid actual millions to do this job. Do your job. Do your job. I wonder, I wonder if that was maybe, you know, one of the reasons why he was a lot more sort of considered in his comments after the Borough game. You know, mm. it was, a, it was, they were a lot more measured and less sort of 
bombastic than we've been hearing. And perhaps that was the reason why, which I don't think is a bad thing. Um, do you think we are going to go through a cycle now of just, you know, one decent result? If we have to play within like three or four days, then we're likely to follow that up with a pretty terrible result. And just we all need to swallow that basically and hope that the Arsenal game comes at a point where we've just lost yeah. <laughs> and therefore might win the next one. I think so. I think that's probably this kind of safest for us all, really, and for our own kind of emotional equilibrium, really. I think one sort of last thing I want to say is that it's hard, It's really hard when you really love football and you're really attached to your football club, as we are. Like, we just are. That's, that's what's happened mm. to us for whatever reason. Um, we have this stupid club. We love it. And it's it's hard not to see it kind of mirrored in your own kind of moods, your ups and downs, your life. Um, and I definitely, I would say, like about 10 years ago, I definitely was in a phase with Spurs where I was really, which is in Spurs in my life, where I felt like I was really struggling with everything, like personally, professionally, it was just all very chaotic and I didn't really like nothing was kind of coming together as mm. I sort of wanted it to. And I didn't even really, like I knew there were things that I wanted that, that seemed so far away. And we sort of had that great Champions League run and then, it, and then it all came kind of crashing down horribly. And I really, like I remember that, the Arsenal game, the 5-2, where after, you know, where we were like 10 points ahead of them mm. and then we lost and you just knew, you just knew what was going to happen, right? And it just fell away so horribly. And then it was sort of and this kind of horror unfolding in slow motion. And I think that's, that's probably like the lowest I've ever felt with Spurs. And I just, you know, thinking we're not allowed nice things. I'm not allowed nice things. And I look back and, you know, it was still pretty ropey for a while after that. And then Spurs were very up and down. But I think my life after that has kind of diverged, fortunately. But also my sort of life fortunes have like improved drastically because of Spurs. <laughs> so I've met some of my absolute dearest friends through that, that ridiculous club. Like I'm mm. sitting talking to one of them right now and my partner is a Spurs fan and we have two children and I'm in, you know, I'm in a WhatsApp group with people that I've been talking to every day for six years. And we now have this podcast and Wherever you go, you meet nice Spurs fans, I think. Mm. We're all sort of mad. But we have, <laughs> we have this thing that connects us. And I think I, I have one, of my sort of, one of my coping strategies now with Spurs is I think that I know my life is sort of inextricably intertwined with that club. But I don't have to always be so kind of affected by it day yeah. to day but it, yeah. it, it means I don't get kind of dragged down I want to enjoy all of the joys that it brings and accept that it will be a part of my life forever and I cannot leave and that's not always fine but it is ultimately fine and I think that a lot of the time as football fans we don't particularly I think when we're talking to say partners who aren't into football or 
people with perhaps more um <laughs> with more diverse interests than you know those of us that give over so much of our time and effort to football so I don't think we all time. so much of our time and our and our energy and our emotion and money and all you know all that stuff I think that sometimes we don't want to admit how much you know your football team's fortunes can weave into your own life fortunes or how much you do care quite honestly because I definitely at points feel a bit embarrassed by how much yeah. you know Tottenham will affect my mood or will and not even so much I feel like a bit like you were saying I feel like I am a lot and I think it's partly because I'm very lucky in having you know the guys that we do the podcast with and other Tottenham friends my brother's a Tottenham fan you know I have a, a sort of rich team of people that I can lean on for that period after a game like the Borough defeat where you're in you know a real pit and you just need to get it out of your system and I kind of know that when I do get out of my system that come the morning I'll be you know I'll still sort of wake up and remember and you know shake my fist at the at the sort of morning skies but I'll be fine like I'm okay it's not like it was maybe when I was you know in my early 20s or something and just a bit furious with everything um but I just think that there's points where I'm like oh I just know how much happier I would be if Spurs had one like it would just improve everything that little bit more and when you've had that little bit and I think this is I guess the thing with Spurs that we're forever sort of chasing that rainbow right and we've Mm. had glimpses of it and we've we've sort of seen the pot of gold and we've you know we've been able to basically touch it but we've never quite got there really that just that agonizing sensation of oh just if I just give a little bit more or you know Spurs just keep on doing what they're doing then maybe that kind of utopia that glorious payoff will arrive and I guess that's you know what keeps all football fans going and what have you but I yeah I just sort of I guess I'm still chasing that with Tottenham and we all obviously came so so close to it with the Champions League final and I think a lot of us felt like maybe naively because I'm sure that's not how football fandom works but I think a lot of us felt like had they just won that game in Madrid I would be the most well-adjusted football fan ever. After that, I wouldn't. It would have, have changed in... our lives. Yeah, it, I do. I like, do without think a doubt, I, I genuinely yeah. believe that. I think it, there's no way that's not true. It would have. It would yeah. have changed our lives forever. And it's so hard when you came so close to that. To and to know that you're not really going to get another chance for a very long time, perhaps ever. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, and I think that's, you know, I came away from that thinking it's, we're, you know, we're going into the summer, we're spending 63 million on this really amazing midfielder from Leon. we're buying our first choice targets, of course we'll be back in the Champions League final again, because you, you do just, you know, I certainly was like, oh, well Spurs just qualify for the Champions League now, that's just what we do, like mm. even that, you know, that season particularly when we were so awful for what felt like three quarters of the season, but somehow still got fourth I was like oh this must just be what like Chelsea fans feel like when they change their manager three times but still get top four like this is just what Tottenham do it's not what Tottenham do that was a weird, nowhere near what we do that was a weird blip <laughs> <laughs> but 
but I think you've sort of hit on something though as well that is quite um that is going to make the rest of the season quite difficult I think because we did have the highs I mean I hope because oh my god because it actually could also go horribly wrong and we could just like not really win that many more games but if it is this sort of like win one lose one um or even not win one lose one but have these sort of ecstatic moments like Mm. Leicester and City and then the sort of horrible just embarrassment I think it, and it is the an embarrassment. Burnley's and the boroughs and even though you know Burnley wasn't even that bad I think the problem with with a game like Burnley is like it's not that bad in isolation but it's when you kind of add all of those games up like we don't we haven't been winning those kinds of games for such a long time it's it's the predictability of it isn't it yeah. I think it's the fact it's the the sort of classic Tottenham narrative that of course they follow up beating the champions yeah. away in the 95th minute with a defeat at Leicester with a goal from a set piece and you're, you know, are like everyone's favourite centre-back getting sort of dominated in the air by Ben Mee. Like, of course that's how we lose after having battered their goal for, you know, most of the second half. It's, yeah, it's just that. And of course we then follow up, you know, a resounding away win at Leeds with a sort of meek surrender in the cup, thus Mm -hmm. ruling us out of silverware for another year. Like, it's just the, it's so sort of crushingly familiar and it's so, it so sort of annoyingly plays into these kind of classic Tottenham stereotypes that fans of other teams just love. Like, you know, I would, I, and I think this is the thing that I have to not do now is just like, you know, I don't allow myself to sort of go on a self-destructive sort of tour of Twitter, like allowing myself to get wound up by certain accounts or even friends, you know, like friends yeah. of mine, really beloved friends who I know will just, you know, just be absolutely loving what is going on with Tottenham sort of falling over themselves and I have to and I have to remind myself like it's not personal like we do it when Arsenal lose when Mm. Chelsea lose when West Ham lose but it just really stings and I think there's that sort of self-protection that I've learned I guess in how to cope with being such a football weirdo where I just am able to like put blinkers on for a few days after this stuff and I just don't you know, I don't have to read this stuff. I never used to be like that. I was always like, I have to sort of front up to it. And like, I have to read. I've never been like that. And... I've always gone full, full media blackout after losses. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's it, isn't it? You feel we sort of take, we take refuge in each other. Right. Mm. And then, but kind of going out into the world again, feels after every embarrassing loss feels like this horrible sort of raw experience right and I think it will probably always be like that and I think we'll just have to accept think, it yeah, unless something unless, ama- you know if unless something amazing were to happen in the future with the league or the you know hilariously the Champions League and even then I feel, like like, I feel like the only way that Tottenham are going to fundamentally change at this point is through new ownership really I think just by someone that probably a lot of us would find quite difficult to fully accept and now running Tottenham Hotspur and coming in with a sort of, you know, Abramovich, Newcastle style blank checkbook. I think that's really the only way that this is, and I don't say this in a sort of defeatist way, but I just think we can't really expect anything other than highs and lows. So we have to just sort of brace ourselves and 
and I get you know, and I guess this is always the Tottenham problem is we've been we've been put in this gleaming stadium, sort of expecting perhaps. And I guess because we've moved into that stadium and times have been pretty lean since we've moved into it, mm. the juxtaposition of, you know, when we were at White Hart Lane, it felt like, oh, well, you know, we're in a sort of crumbling but atmospheric and historical stadium, you know, 36,000. This is this is the team that the stadium not deserves because that sounds a bit throwaway, but, you know, it, it fits, it works. It, yeah. now, now we've got this sort of bizarre... Yeah, sort of juxtaposition of like potentially the best stadium in the world with a team struggling to like get above Wolves and it just the two things don't match. And I guess that's a very Spurs thing. It's you know it's like it used to be in the old days where you'd have you know Gaza and Lineker, but then you'd have you know not really an awful lot else, or you have Sheringham and Klinsman, and you've got sort of Calderwoods and Dean Austin at the back. It's that sort of lack of consistency in really making sure that everything's top notch rather than just going, don't look down there, but up here, everything's brilliant. (laughs) Just, and that's a very Spurs thing, I think. Yeah. And I think two things about that. I think for me anyway, I think I would definitely be calmer about, well, I say this, who knows? I I think that I would be calmer about things if we didn't have the stadium and we didn't have Harry Kane, because I think those two things have raised the stakes horribly Mm. because I think I would be more accepting of a downturn in our fortunes and, you know, a few years of being sort of in the wilderness really with the sort of hope that things would get better at some point. But because we have Kane right now and because we have the stadium, it, it feels like if we if we don't get any success, if it's if it's like this now, it's the stakes are too high. Yeah. You know, it's 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 so disastrous to be this bad with this superstar player and in this kind of gleaming stadium, really. Plus Conte, I think as well, because I think you've yeah. got you've got the added narrative of, you know, it was, it was kind of bad enough with the whole, you know, we're the only club that Mourinho has not won something with, but it, you know, you can obviously make an argument that Mourinho is yesterday's man and mm-hmm. not the same coach as he was. Conte is supposed to be, you know, in the prime of his life, at the peak of his powers, etc. For him to sort of not be able to crack the sort of Tottenham code. You know, I know sort of friends of ours have said this, like, you know, what what then? You know, mm. if, if Conte can't do it, then what what hope? But, uh, you know, there's always, I suppose the thing about football is, unless you're, you know, a sort of a Berry fan or something where things really, or I guess how Derby fans are probably feeling at the moment, like mm. there is, and I, there is always next season and there is always, you know, a, there's always potential for another Harry Kane to come through or there's always a potential for a sort of slightly unfancied next sort of Pochettino to arrive and everything to go from Sherwood to Pochettino in, you know, lightning speed. So I I don't feel ever that things are entirely bleak. It's just learning to live with how ridiculous we are, I think. And the the joys and the highs are spectacular with Tottenham. And I think you made a really good point that, you know, even in very recent times, you've got Leicester, 
you've got City, you've got two of the most extraordinary last minute wins I think any of us can remember. And those have been sandwiched by some of the most, you know, sort of god awful, mediocre displays, you know, harking back to sort of early 2000s Tottenham that any of us can remember. And it's just, it's so, it's so exhausting at the moment. And I think that's, a lot of us have that sort of slight, yeah, we're, we're tired and we're yeah. a bit exasperated by it because you can't keep up. Like I don't, you just feel a bit silly. You felt silly. I felt, you know, really great after the Leeds game, but there was this nagging thing where I was like, Leeds are a train wreck right now. And, you know, should we be bracing ourselves for humiliation on Tuesday night? Yes. And yes, we should. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So maybe the, maybe the penny was dropped and this is just what we should expect now. Yeah, I think so. But I think a couple of things about that though is one, we have to enjoy these things when they happen and we yes. have to, enjoy, we have to enjoy players like Harry Kane. Well, you know, yes. like, you're right. Let's not worry about it. Whatever is going to come, whatever's going to happen with him is going to happen. Let's enjoy him. And it's not, he's not been consistent this season, but he's also produced some unbelievable performances yeah, that we sure. can all cherish. And, you know, thinking about new owners and everything that has happened this week, I think I have felt sort of oddly calm about football this week because I do think that if we were bought by somebody pre like as horrible as as Abramovich or as the Saudis, I think I think I'd have to revisit my relationship with the club, to be honest. And I think that was something that I just that, that, that I can't really imagine, but I think this week has shown that things that we couldn't previously imagine can come true. And that sounds kind of probably cliched, but I mean that in the, in the sort of good way as well, because I think we've seen a, a, like a, a wildly unexpected kind of demonstration of solidarity around the globe, but also that governments can be shamed into acting. And a lot of that has come from that's that's come from the bottom up, really. Mm. And I think um, Musa Akwanga made a really good point on Twitter where he said that um, a lot of this has been a lot. A lot of the response from UEFA and FIFA has been in reaction to things that players have said themselves. So yeah. you had the very strong statement from the Poland team and Lewandowski saying, we're not going to play Russia. Mm. And then eventually FIFA had to say, okay, fine, you're out of the World Cup. And I think all of that was true with Black Lives Matter as well. And yeah. I think it really it shows that we don't have to put up with as much as we think we do. Mm. I guess even the Super League stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, without the wave of fan admonishment I don't think that happens at all I think we're looking at a Super League kicking off pretty much like imminently without it um it's been it's been yeah that sort of football kind of world politics intersection is always odd and kind of usually grisly yeah usually grisly and I but I guess does just sort of serve to circle back to you know, one of our points that we've just made that it does, it is like a huge part of people's lives. And, mm. you know, and I think 
going back to another point, I think that's where it would be very hard for a lot of fans to accept the sort of, you know, regime that could come about should Spurs be taken over. And I think, you know, even seeing how Chelsea fans have sort of, you know, responded to a lot of the time fairly sort of vanilla criticism or analysis, if you like, not even criticism of the Abramovich, you know, situation slash his background slash the the facts, quite honestly, you know, mm-hmm. and what it does to you as a fan, what it can do to you as a fan where sort of logic and reason flies out the window and you're instead, you know, you're taken over by this sort of tribalism and blinkered view because football comes above all else. I think we don't want to be like that. We really don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. And I'm not saying that, you know, Enoch or Joe Lewis or whoever are perfect companies or human, human beings at all. That is very rarely the case with billionaires several times over, I'm sure. However, I don't think Spurs have had to sort of look that in the eye in the way that Chelsea or Newcastle have had to or are having to. And this is perhaps a debate for down the line, should it ever happen to Tottenham? But uh, yeah, it feels pertinent at the moment seeing what's going on. And I just sort of look, and I know, again, you can't treat Twitter as a sort of sensible place to gauge a fan opinion. But I, you know, the way that Chelsea fans have, reacted to what's going on I think just really reminds me that I am grateful that Spurs aren't in that situation and they haven't done that to me (laughs) they haven't sort of brainwashed me so ridiculously that I've had to park certain beliefs and morals and you know ways of thinking that just go against how I would live my life otherwise you know yeah I mean I missed the Leeds game on Saturday because um, I took my kids to the Ukraine solidarity rally and you know obviously I'm sorry I missed four great goals and a really fun game but I'm very glad I went and I'm very glad I took Mm. my children because I want them to enjoy football but I also want them to be kind of serious moral upstanding (laughs) citizens right and I think um, every like you have to do these things and you have to draw your own lines, right? So our owners are probably not good people, right? I think we know that for sure. But I think we also all know that there is a difference of magnitude, right? Mm. With Abramovich and the Newcastle owners. So I don't know. I don't really, I mean, hopefully, hopefully we'll never have to have this conversation, but I guess, these are things that, you know, made me reflect a bit more, I suppose, on what um, what we all went through kind of, um, during the World Cup in Russia, which, you know, at the time felt as if we couldn't, it was just sort of happening and happening to mm. us, right? And we watched the games, even though we knew everything that Russia was doing in Syria and but it just felt that there was nothing that there was nothing to be done. These institutions had too much power and they didn't care. And now it feels as though I feel that we are sort of a pivotal moment. You know, perhaps we're not. There's also another part of me that thinks, you know, Chelsea are obviously just going to move on as if nothing ever happened. Right. That's clear. But 
I don't know, perhaps we are now at a moment where we are all able to, collective se- to collectively say, like, that's too far. Mm. I mean, we've allowed a lot. <laughs> but enough, really. I don't know. It's, it's, a, weird, it's, really, it's a weird time. <laughs> it's a really weird time, and it's a really interesting time. And I think it's, you know, like I was saying that, the way that football does often intersect these huge global events in its sort of weird and wonderful way does bring into focus how we all engage with football and our clubs and the feelings and the way that we do sometimes, you know, we treat football issues in a way that we wouldn't necessarily treat issues elsewhere. And I think that maybe that is changing. And I think that, you know, we football is so important to so many people you kind of have to hold it to the same standards and you have to park you know oh well if it's my club doing it then it's fine because it's not fine and it can't be my club right or wrong yeah exactly exactly um so if we're going to sort of wrap up this sort of rambling section are we (laughs) actually slightly grateful for our ridiculous club (laughs) that hasn't made us do these things it I makes think, us suffer, but it hasn't made us disgusting. I think on balance, and I think it goes back to what you were saying. I I love the fact that I very rarely meet a Spurs fan that I don't find. I might not love them or like them massively, but I think they we do share some sort of commonality in how we treat football and how we're able to send ourselves up and acknowledge how sort of silly Spurs can be a lot of the time and those highs and those lows. So I think that there's something wonderful about being a Spurs fan that, you know, teaches you. And I think we said this in the very first podcast that we did, we all kind of agreed that, you know, supporting Spurs does actually set you up pretty well for life in terms of understanding that there will be moments of utter euphoria and giddy joy that you cannot sort of recreate if you tried and there will be you know crushingly predictable moments of you know not just misery but sort of dull kind of grey that is basically the patchwork of how we all have to just wander through life and that in a way is great and I thank Spurs for that and (laughs) I think on balance the, the, the moments of you know, giddy, mad joy will and have, you know, I've, I still feel I'm in credit enough with those moments that I can overlook the other stuff. And of course, the other thing is that you know, we're, we're lumbered with them. Like this is, yeah. you know, being a Spurs fan is for most of us part of our makeup. It's part of our identity. I think the reasons that we've just been discussing, I think we're, most of us are Spurs fans for a reason or we've lent into what being Spurs is in a way that is quite uniquely Tottenham, I think. You know, those sort of, all those things. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm all right. I'm sort of excited, weirdly, about, I'm scared, but I'm excited about what the next 12, 13 games could hold because I still think, despite myself, that there is a small chance we could get top four, you know, if, sort of circling back to a bit more kind of granular Tottenham chat. 
you know if, I think so too it's ridiculous if, um, but I do it's ridiculous but I'm like well if Bentoncourt and Skip you know can get fit in the next couple of games then that could revolutionize our central midfield we won't have to watch that that Hoybier and Winks partnership ever again, and that will be fine. And maybe Matt Dirty has actually <laughs> figured out how to be a wing back again, and Sess is getting it together, and all these ridiculous things that we talk ourselves into. But if we didn't, then it would just be too much to bear, I guess. So, yeah, I'm not ready to write the season off. No. Are we going to beat Everton on Monday? I'm not going to, I'm just refusing to make a prediction. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I'm certainly not making any like massively optimistic predictions again because I've gotten into trouble twice now for um, being sort of overconfident about certain matches and I think it's going to be really tough. I think that it's two teams that are probably quite edgy and really need points and although Everton were pretty good against City for various points of that match, I do think there's a sort of when you're at home to City, you do kind of raise it. And when you've got a home crowd behind you, etc. So I think they'll come and probably play for a point, I imagine. So we'll face a kind of different test to the matches that we have won, I think, recently, where we've had teams come out and try and go for us and we pick them off on the break. So that could be interesting. Plus, I suppose there's the home crowd element as well, because we've been away from home for... For ages now, we've been in our sort of weird northern roadshow. Um, well, how do you feel about the crowd stuff, Rosa? Yeah, I don't feel great about the crowd, but I also, again, I don't really know. I think the crowd is so up and down. We've had some great nights recently and also some nights where everybody's mm. complained throughout the whole thing. So it'll be quite emotional with Delhi coming back, I guess. Yeah. So... That's at least one thing. Um, I mean, it should be a decent game aside from anything else, right? I mean, these fixtures are always quite fun. I don't know. I have some largely fond memories of Everton, I think. Hmm. Yeah, it's always fun, fun playing um, Spurs North. Yeah, exactly. I, like I mean, this is it. They are us, basically. So <laughs> let's just... Uh, who was it I saw on Twitter the other day that was, you know... Actually, it must have been a few months ago now, but I think it was in the sort of middle of the kind of Nuno horror and they were going through their own sort of Benitez purgatory and they'd said, um, petition to, um, like, to merge Spurs and Everton into one <laughs> club <laughs> that, that we can all just laugh at. I thought, yeah, that sounds about right. It's, um, I mean, it's a game we absolutely have to win, I think, if we don't. If we don't, I mean, part of me is like, oh Christ! If we win, then everyone's just going to be like, top four's back on, and mm-hmm. it's all, it's all great again. And then we'll just go to Old Trafford on the weekend and lose, and everyone will yeah. be miserable again. So, part of me is like, just finish this off, <laughs> just, <laughs> just bury this sort of notion of top four now, so that we stop this kind of emotional roller coaster every week. But I, yeah, I think that it's going to be a good game, and I'm. It sounds like Benton Cole might be back for it. Yeah. And I think he'll make he'll make such a huge difference. Um, Not, yeah, he will make to, a massive difference. Not Skip though, um, right? Skips. I, yeah, I'm 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 a tad worried about Skip. He seems like, you know, those sort of weird central. It always seems to be midfielders. Those sort mm. of Anderton, 
Wanyama kind of injuries where it starts off being a knock oh, and then five sick. months later they've had a sort of spine replacement or something. They're <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically a, a ghost. And I'm I mean I'm sure that's not what's happening, but it did seem like he was supposed to be out for like one match and it's been what, really... like three months or something. Yeah. And you know, I think the stats sort of show just how vital he is. I think that if you look at the um sort of points one with him versus without him, it's pretty um it's pretty tough reading. I mean without <laughs> either of so those I'm I'm you know I'm so encouraged by Kulu though. Mm. Even though he had a horrible time on Tuesday, I think he's been absolutely brilliant. I even think that against Middlesbrough, I mean his first half is his touch looks, I think it was just a bit of a shock to the system. I don't imagine he would have faced any sort of Copper Italia nights like that, especially. Um, and it took him a while to get used to that sort of intense, not giving you any time on the ball sort of stuff. But um, I felt like in the second half, he was he was making things happen. And, you know, he really had, had Son scored that header, we'd all be celebrating a sort of last-minute victory with an incredible cross from Kulu, sort of beating his man and whipping in a perfect ball for sort of Sonny to nod home a completely undeserved winner. But Oh, Sonny, yeah, he's, yeah, he's having a terrible time of it. Like He's I had think, a really think, bad season. And yet he's like still got very decent stats. And Yeah, that's you know, true. It's, it's bizarre. Everyone's having a weird season, aren't they? It's just very strange. But I, I do think that what we are seeing in Kulisevsky and Bentoncourt are just two very decent footballers that have come in and have raised our level significantly. And I do think they're players that Conte is going gonna, is gonna to really enjoy coaching into something better than they already are. Um, and also, I think um, like our big, big, big problem this season has been goals mm-hmm. and the creation of goals right yeah and for sure with Kudasevsky and Benzikor we like double the, the amount of players who can create goal scoring chances right that that seems pretty clear to me and if Skip, and if Skip comes back that's that's even more encouraging but I think certainly those two if we can just get them back properly I think that that makes a massive massive difference because I, I think you know the defense is okay yeah. Like I mean, Romero's sort of horror show aside. Yeah, I think there were definite issues against Borough, but I just think that was, we're just going to have to park that as one of those crappy matches that, you know, we never speak of again until we go out in the fifth round next season and remember. But um, let's talk about Spurs women quickly because we want to say a massive well done to Ash Neville, who has just become the first Spurs player to win a Player of the Month award. Um, she's a real star. I think she's terrific and is long overdue in England call-up. And there's actually there's a really good um, Suzanne Rack interview with, um, with Ash. It's on The Guardian um, that we thoroughly recommend you read. Um, it was particularly revealing around the sort of realities of being a mother and a professional footballer. Um, and I'm not saying that men like male players don't sort of have to deal with getting up in the night and all that sort of stuff, but 
um, I think that it was a kind of reminder that a lot of these players have, you know, young kids and, well, just the fact that she's had, yeah, like they've got young children at home and they're not multimillionaires with loads of help and enormous mansions and all the rest of it. They're, you know, they're just getting by like the rest of us and having to go out and sort of perform and train and all the rest of it. And it was, it's a really good piece. Suzanne Wright said it. She's an Arsenal fan, unfortunately, but she's an excellent writer on, on women's football, I think. Yeah, it's a really, really lovely interview. I agree. And I think to that point, it really, it reminded me also of talking to Jenna when I spoke to her a few months ago about, you know, originally um, all the players also had other jobs. And of course, now they can be professional and just, and that, and football is, is their is their day job but I think being parents as well I mean doesn't Harry Kane live somewhere else during the week (laughs) (laughs) you know it's just something that I really really appreciated the way she talked about it and the way she sort of said it very matter-of-factly you know there'll be some nights where I'll be up like five or six times with either of my children. And I thought that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly how it is. Thank you so much, Ash, because I think, you know, as you know, that's such a bugbear of mine where people think, you know, you have a baby and then after the first year, it's like fine, as opposed to like years thereafter of being woken and having still with various things. And, and to, to do all of that and to rise up the ranks the way she has done and, and I think when Jenna spoke about her, she spoke about her as someone who took a little time to adjust to the Super League. But now she's done it and she looks completely at home. And she's such a fun player. Mm. And so sort of fierce and committed and determined and a real game changer, it turns out. And I know that, I mean, you sort of called her out like, you you said from the beginning, I think, of this podcast, you were like, I think she's she's the one. She's going to be a star. And it's really exciting to watch her happen. And I would also like to mention her haircut is unbelievably sharp. <laughs> like, now there's a woman who's getting her head on every week. Big time. Um, she just seems like exactly the sort of kind of fullback, wingback that... Um... The, uh, the men's team could do it. I know, right? My my kingdom for one of those. Seriously, yeah. Um, but yeah, good for her. Like, we absolutely have to give her her flowers because it's been an amazing season for her. And like, Absolutely. Um, big weekend as well for Spurs women. Who have mm-hmm. we got? Yeah, we're reading away. Um, that's it. Helpfully, they'd lost uh, the other day. So they are... Was that, their, was that their game in hand? That was their game in hand. And they are five points behind us. So even though they're a pretty decent team, and I think always have been actually, um, they, even if they win, that's fine. We're still two points clear. So it's, you know, we could, we genuinely could be celebrating Spurs in the Champions League at the end of the season, which is just really thrilling, isn't it? It's they've done so well, and I feel like beating Reading away is exactly the sort of result they need. It feels like we've had a lot of very solid sort of home wins, and we've been picked up a few good sort of draws away. But getting a real sort of feather in the cap away victory feels like maybe the next step for us. Um, Absolutely, it's the next one because I think they've won all that. They've also beaten all the bottom teams, mm. so. Beating the bottom teams kind of ground out a few 
draws against the top teams. And yeah, so then it's time for a convincing. I guess there was a Brighton win. So yeah. that's one of those. But yeah, you're right. Another one of those. Yeah. Um, be brilliant. We'll be picking up how they get on next week. Um, yeah. Just got time for some culture picks, Rosa. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll zoom through them as it's just you and, you and me tonight. But you go first. What you got? Do you know what? Um, I don't really have any proper culture picks this week. Well, because I... <laughs> Because I've sort of all I've done is really kind of followed news and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. listened to podcasts and sort of been very kind of immersed in all of that. But so I tried the other night. I, I thought I'm just going to cheer myself up and watch something kind of light and frivolous. And because of my Yellow Jackets obsession and my love for Melanie Linsky, I found this film that had been mentioned in all of the recent interviews with her, which was a film she did about 10 years ago called Hello, I Must Be Going, where she plays a sort of depressed, divorced woman who then has a relationship with a much younger man played by Christopher Abbott, who you'll remember from Girls. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was really, really disappointing. It was, <laughs> no, now, you know my tolerance for, you know, watching things about sort of feckless like unpleasant people is uh, it's quite high but <laughs> it was just honestly you're, a horror- you're his first fan exactly <laughs> um but honestly it was just really really shallow and it was one of those films where I thought this person this director this writer had like a fantastic casting person on their team because mm. Those two in particular, like, absolutely elevate the material. So it's sort of worth it for that as a kind of acting masterclass because I love her, but I also, I like Christopher Abbott a lot. I think he's got a really nice energy about him. He always looks quite sad, but in a very kind of appealing way. And he can kind of project this sort of intensity. So their relationship felt quite believable, really. Um, So I wouldn't exactly recommend that, but it's sort of fun to watch that like two actors do really well I also started reading um oh what was it called kleptomania so there was a court uh, case kleptopia um how dirty money is conquering our world yeah so the um person who wrote that Tom Burgess just won his court case against um one of the oligarchs I guess who is um written about in this book so pretty thrillingly because obviously um lots of very rich people bring their libel cases here Mm. because our laws have not been great about that so that was good he won his court case and his book is about um yeah russian money basically and how we're all kind of horribly tangled up in it and the sort of um you know, just the absolute greed of governments that sort of brought us to this point, really. So I'm not very far into it, but it's really, really well written and sort of horrifying. So that sort of culture slash uh, reality adjacent. But I do want to recommend um, if you feel like you want to be kind of up to date, but not sort of bombarded all the time. Every morning I've been listening to the BBC's Ukraine cast. Um, with Victoria Derbyshire and Gabriel Gatehouse, who obviously are BBC's sort mm. of top guys, and they talk to a lot of people on the ground and various other experts. So it kind of brings you up to date with everything that's kind of happened every day. 
and it's only sort of half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, a lot of it is obviously quite harrowing, but it's pretty, it's just really, it's the kind of thing that BBC does so, so, so well. Yeah. You know, getting you brilliant people, like getting you the important big- stories, telling you what you need to know. And Victoria Derbyshire, I think, is a very, very sort of empathetic she, um, interviewer. I was going to say she sort of raised her game, which feels horribly throwaway, considering how sort of massive and important the situation is. But I think her reporting and interviewing and presenting during this crisis has been like she's been absolutely terrific and as good as I've ever seen her. She's really sort of lent into it in a very impressive way. Yeah, um, agreed. Yeah, I, I would recommend Ukraine Cast as well. Yeah. Um, did you ever listen to the Mayday podcast? Which, I did is, not, no. which is something else. If you're um, interested in the background to all of this and Putin's war in Syria and also the sort of horrible um, disinformation wars around that, which have also led us to this point, really, to the point where Putin can say, I'm going in to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. And that's just a wildly offensive mm. lie. <laughs> um, but there are still people in the world who will take that lie and run with it. Um, there's a 10 part series, again, BBC podcast, um, written and presented by Chloe Hajimatheou about Syria and particularly about um, the death of one man, James Measurer, who um, helped found and run the White Helmets, who obviously were operating on the ground in Syria, sort of civilian hospital service, who rescued a lot of people, but also became the target of like absolutely horrific um, online attacks and just mm. lies were spread about them, basically saying they were all kind of terrorists. So I would, um, you know... Not for anyone who feels like it's all too much, but um, it's it's really, really brilliant. Um, I'm also going to give a shout out to Ash um, because he recommended that um, Dijon album the other mm. day in our Hometown Glory group, uh, which I've been listening to for the last couple of days and has absolutely spoken to my soul and soothed it. So I really, really wanted to thank him for that. And that's absolutely which is he, is, just, uh, he is such a talent. Um, unbelievable. I can't just, obviously that album is like a year old now, but. Yeah. Yeah. He's that was a real gift. Him. So thanks, Ash. Well done, Ash. Um, I'll do mine quickly. Um, I just started reading um, uh, Young Mungo, which is a new novel by Douglas Stewart, who won the Booker Prize last year with Shuggy Bain. Um, I'm quite lucky here as I got a copy ahead of its release. Um, it's coming out on April the 5th. Um, and I'm very quickly blitzing through it. Um, it's another really extraordinary piece of writing around sort of similar-ish themes to, to Shuggy. Um, some sort of incredibly vivid capturing of working class life um, in urban Glasgow. This one is ostensibly a love story between Mungo, who's a Protestant, and James, who's a Catholic. Um, the kind of Romeo and Juliet on a Glasgow housing estate could feel a bit OTT but I just think Stuart writes with such a in such a sort of glorious lyrical and utterly gripping way that it's just it's a joy it really is um it's not an easy read at times and I really shouldn't say too much more because it's not even out yet but I thoroughly recommend it when it does come out on April the 5th um particularly if you did read Shaggy Bane 
Um, and if you've not read that, you should definitely read that as well. Um, and my other pick is Reason to Smile by Koji Radical, um, which is Koji's first studio album proper, which is one of those sort of mad things because he's been around for a long time now. I think he's 29 and had a bunch of mixtapes and EPs and things, but this is his first sort of proper album album. Um, to my mind, he's one of the most interesting and exciting artists in UK rap and has been for ages. And in fact, to border him into simply rap and that's it, is kind of doing him a disservice as this album in particular is like a sort of modern soul record. It's really interesting. Um, it also takes in his experiences as a first time dad, um, which I've, you know, I found interesting myself and I think others will. Um, and I like how he doesn't really sugarcoat it. There isn't a kind of like, isn't she lovely <laughs> on the, on this album. It's, as he said, it's about the sort of imposter syndrome you can feel as a new parent, um, the panic you can feel as one, the sort of worry you sometimes get when you're not necessarily always hit by the, wow, I'm so happy I've got a child. Like my life is now completely amazing. And, you know, you have other feelings that go alongside that feeling. And Oh my God, know, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> Why am I so tired? Why can't I do anything? Um, that bracing honesty is something I definitely enjoyed um, hearing on an album like that. Um, I just think he's a he's an artist with something quite important to say, not just about parenting, but I think he speaks to lots of really uh, vital things that are going on in the UK and beyond in a really compelling way. So I thoroughly recommend this album. It's terrific. Um, it's out today. If we do. Uh, if Tom can cut this podcast into some sense um, uh, and we get it out on Friday, it's out today. And I really, really hope it explodes for him because he thoroughly deserves it. He's an excellent guy too. Um, so yeah, those are our picks. Um, Rosa, thank you so much for coming on and uh, humouring me. Uh, whilst no one else could make it, it's been thoroughly enjoyable just having a lovely chat. I hope, um, hope it wasn't too too kind of in the weeds for you no I feel pretty I feel pretty good about it all you know but I also like I said I didn't want to get too in the weeds but do you know what I really enjoy it <laughs> let's be honest <laughs> um let's hope a few people enjoyed it as well thank you Rosa so much for yeah, if you uh, make it to the end thank you and we're sorry <laughs> <laughs> um don't worry next week everyone's going to be back and we'll have a, a less deep chat perhaps or maybe not Maybe things will just continue to get Maybe this more, is where uh, we are now, yeah. This is it. Um, this is it. This is where the world is. Um, thank you, Rosa. And thank you all for listening. This has been Hometown Glory. Uh, Rosa, you can be Billy. You can see yourself. Up the spurs. <laughs> <laughs>